0: Welcome to episode five of Christ in Culture. Today we look at a story that I call the first evangelist. There was a teacher in children's ministry that needed some supplies from a Sunday school cupboard, and this cupboard was seldomly used, and it had a combination lock on the cupboard, and she was exasperated; she couldn't get it open. And preacher walked about, walked by about that time, and he looked in and asked if he could help. And she said, "Well, of course, I need your help." And the preacher comes in and looks at the combination lock; he's a little puzzled. He looks up at the sky mumbles some words, looks like he's just in a deep state of thought, looks back at the combination lock, he turns it to the right, twice to the left, once to the right, once, and it just pops open. The woman is just amazed at this preacher, and she says, sir, you are just so spiritual. Your faith is amazing. He says, ma'am, I think you've got it all wrong. Uh, The combination is written up on the ceiling of the room. We meet people of great faith, and we just marvel at folks that just seem to have a strong belief in Jesus and such a strong vibrant walk. But if we're honest, a lot of us struggle in our faith. Even some of the greatest Christians that have ever lived have struggled in their faith. Saint John of the Cross wrote uh, the book, uh, The Dark Knot of the Soul. And I think we can all relate to that, that we've had those dark knots of the soul where our faith struggles. And today I want to present to you a story where we see real people with real struggles. So many times we put Bible characters on a pedestal and we forget they're real people with real problems. This is found in one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I love John chapter 20. I want to pick up in the first 10 verses and read to you from John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as they yet did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. Now notice the impossibility of faith, real difficulty of faith. First of all, we have this woman, Mary Magdalene. She seems like the unlikely prospect for being the first person to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. She's the same one that had seven demons cast out of her, a woman kind of with a rough background and a checkered past. But she is going to become what the early church would call the apostle to the apostles. She'll be the one to bring the good news of Jesus' resurrection first. But we also notice the difficulty of her faith. We know in Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10 that Jesus repeatedly says, matter of fact, three different times, that he would have to die, he'd be buried, and he'd be raised. So he made it clear to his followers. So much so, the Jewish authorities posted a guard outside his tomb. They knew that he had promised he would return. But it's interesting that we see Mary's attitude. You know, she comes and says they have taken the body. It never occurred to her that maybe what Jesus said was correct. Maybe he had predicted that he would be raised. Now, so many times when we look at the Christian faith, especially people that are skeptical. You know, They claim they come to the Christian faith with objectivity. And I would just say that's really a bunch of hogwash. People really don't come to the Christian faith and look at it with true objectivity. We all have skin in the game to some respect. I think of it this way, maybe a judge that's ruling over a case, and this judge has stock in a certain company, and that stock is really his retirement plan and this company's being sued, and this case comes before him, and if he rules in the favor of the plaintiff, he's going to destroy his, his retirement portfolio, he would have to recuse himself from that case. In the same way, uh, we as human beings look at the claims of Jesus' cross, and these are not just mere claims that we can look at dispassionately. If Jesus really is who he claimed to be, then he demands our entire allegiance, our entire life. So we have a vested interest in this uh, investigation of the Christian faith. I'd also say to skeptics, uh, maybe a challenge. If you're skeptical about belief in Jesus Christ, why not take that same type of skepticism and apply it to your own skeptical beliefs? I think you would find it it wanting in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of times, skeptics will take the gloves off when it comes to Christianity, but they won't examine their own presuppositions in the same way, their own assumptions. You'll hear people say, well, there cannot be just one religion. That just can't be true. It all has to be relative. But what they're doing when they make that claim that all religions must be the same, they're making an absolute claim. So they're ruling themselves out of court already. And I would say faith is difficult, but I also say that faith is rational. There's some rational rationality behind believing in Jesus Christ. 1st century people were not a bunch of ignorant hayseeds. They realized that dead people just didn't come back from the dead. Uh, They just didn't uh, get up and start walking around. Dead people typically stayed dead and they were not so much into magic and mysticism that somehow uh, this would trick them. We sometimes think that that Christianity is about believing in something that's not true and trying to, to build up that belief but that's not what we're saying. Christian belief is not hoping in what is not true. Christian faith and belief is having certainty about things that we can't see. Think about Peter in this story. Peter comes to the empty tomb. He comes in and it says he saw. He looked. He examined. Matter of fact, the Greek word blepo uh, would denote this idea of investigation. He's not just taking a passing glance at the tomb, but he's examining and he's thinking about what he's seeing. I mean, I can imagine what he might be thinking. He looks at the the grave clothes, and he's thinking, well, if someone would steal the body, who in the world would leave the the linen wrappings behind? I mean, that's just really nasty when you think about it. Why would you um, take the clothing off the body and take a naked body out of the tomb? That just doesn't make sense. And then it seems like the, the head cloth has been folded, and it's nice and orderly. You know, Jesus were just swooning in the grave and resuscitated, and say he passed out on the cross, and he comes back in the cool of the tomb. It'd be kind of a mess there. It'd be disheveled. You know, it wouldn't be so nice and orderly like it is. So it's just not computing. Then we think about Peter himself. Uh, Peter, who is pretty much a coward at this point when it comes to belief in Christ, becomes a very devout follower of Christ, a very ardent preacher of the gospel. Something changes Peter greatly. He sees something because later in his life we know he's probably crucified upside down. And there's a lot of people out there that would die for something that they think to be true. For example, the terrorists in 9-11 that flew airplanes into buildings on that horrible day believed they were doing something for their religion that they believed to be true. But I'll say this, people will not die for something that they know that is not true. That's really the definition of insanity. Peter, I can imagine, is he's going to be crucified upside down in Rome uh, of course, they're going to scourge the victim before they crucify him. I could imagine when the scourging would start, he would say, wait a minute, um, that's crazy. Uh, this is all made up. Uh, when they start to fasten him to the cross upside down, I'm sure if it was all a big hoax, he would have said, okay, guys, this, the, the gig's up. We made all this up. No one dies for something that they know not to be true. There, there's some rationality behind believing the tomb was empty. And I would say, don't believe in Christianity because you think it's relevant to you. I mean, it could be relevant to you, and that's fine. Don't believe in Christianity because it somehow solves some of your problems. I mean, that that's good too. You need to believe in Christianity because it is true. The claims that Jesus Christ makes are true, and you can bank your life on that. I want to finish up the passage we started. It's found in John 20. I want to start back in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she was uh, wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the right, one at the head, and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir... Now, there's good news in this passage. We see that God confronts wayward and mistaken people. Adam, if we think back to the garden, God asks the question, where are you? He asks Adam, how did he know about his nakedness and where did the shame come from? Also, Jonah, God confronts Jonah in the storm. And he also asks Jonah, is it okay for you to be upset? Is it okay for you to be mad? And now we have Jesus confronting Mary in her confusion and unbelief. Woman, why do you weep? We also see in John chapter 10 that the good shepherd calls his children by name. He calls her by name. And his sheep recognize his voice. Then he says, go and tell the brothers. And I propose to you here, Mary becomes one of the first evangelists that we read about in the Bible. She can't wait to go tell them what she's seen. She goes from a skeptic to a believer in the resurrection to one that has to tell others about what she saw. And I think maybe there's something here we need to think about, and that is grace. This story is dripping with grace. We think about the power of the gospel. What can overcome skepticism? What can overcome difficulty in faith? And it's the power of the gospel, and it's grace that can melt even the hardest heart. Jesus tells Mary in this story, don't cling to me because he still has not ascended to the Father. I think there's something going on here. I think what Christ might be saying is, listen, you're holding on to me here but something greater is coming. Once I ascend back to the Father and I set it as a right hand in majesty, I will send out my Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, He will be with us in all places, in all times, in every situation. We will have Christ with us. So the good news for us today is this, that Jesus died for us. He was resurrected from the dead never to die again. And through the power of that, He now sends His Spirit into us Uh, to give us that lifelong relationship we've always longed for in Him. And that, to me, truly is good news. I want to say thank you once again for tuning in today to Episode 5 and hope to see you back next week.